Let us bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege to be here, Lord, and uh, share a message that you have placed in my heart. I pray, Lord, that it is your words that come through, Lord, and um, and your message uh, that is applied to the heart. Uh, please be with me and anoint my lips, Lord, that I may speak only uh, what is your will. Uh, be with us uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Uh, may he... Um, energize our hearts, Lord, and um, strengthen us in um, approaching you and serving you in this community. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So no matter how long you have been Adventist or have known of Adventism, undoubtedly you've come across the idea or, or the teaching of the three angels message. Now I have to admit that when I first came into the church, uh, the whole idea, even though I was fascinated by prophecy, um, it always scared me. You know, it always seemed so intimidating. And um, early on, I, I would go to these uh, prophecy tent meetings and I would listen to these speakers and they, they would have this urgency in their voice and um, this desire to to uh, sort of wake up uh, the people, right, uh, so that they knew where they were in the stream of time. But because I was so new in the faith, listening to these prophecies, they stirred more more fear in me, and and as a result, I kind of pushed God away a little bit. Uh, I kept him at at arm's length because. He seemed like such a harsh judge. You know, I, I didn't quite understand all, all the prophecies. But, you know, it wasn't until I started to study these prophecies for myself that instead of feeling fear, um, I began to feel a little bit of hope and a little bit of joy. And you, it's sort of a, a contrasting thing where, where you hear such terrible things that are going to happen, and yet because of the prophecy, because of where they come from, uh, it, gives you, it gives you a sense of hope, a sense of direction, a sense of purpose as well. And the three angels' message was one of those prophecies. You know, I always wondered, oh man, you know, am I being judged right now? You know, and, and, and am I actually saved? You know, those are those questions that sort of rattle around in my head. And um, uh, yeah, so it, it kind of had me push the Lord away a little bit because I didn't quite understand him. You know, the, the book of Revelation is full of, of, of such strong imagery, full of monsters and wars and, and bloodshed and fire and brimstone and plagues and all of that and judgment, right? But the, the more I began to look for myself into the scriptures and, and research things and, and, and uh, watch other, other speakers you know, speak on these things, it, things began to change. And, and now I, I, I'm sort of passionate about, uh, about prophecy and about end time things. And I think it's, it's, it's a great time to be looking into these things because of everything that seems to be going on in the world. With this message, my brothers and sisters, I hope that we can take a journey together 
And uh, through the verses of the three angels' messages, uh, I hope that perhaps uh, we may be able to glean a little bit of, uh, of knowledge, uh, maybe something that might strike a chord with us uh, to make changes in our life, you know, to prepare us for, for Christ's coming. So I'd ask you to open your Bibles over to um, Revelation 14, where the message of the three angels uh, three angels are located. And we're going to take a look at these passages um, and try to see what we can get from, from what is stated here in the verses. Now, I hope I don't bore you. I know that sometimes uh, I run a little long, so in advance, I apologize if I keep going. <laughs> but I'm so, I'm so excited about this topic, and I feel that it's, it's so um, important right now for us to be looking into these scriptures because it'll give us a sense of where we are and what's going on around us, and, it, and everything begins to make a little bit more sense uh, when we study the scriptures and we study the prophecies. And so I'm going to read from the King James Version and the first angel's message that we find. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So, what does this passage mean? Well, at the end times, while the gospel is being spread uh, throughout the world, there develops a need for an emphasis as to the identity and the understanding of who God is to you and me. There develops a predominant idea and attitude of negativity towards God that seems to successfully diminish and altogether deny his sovereignty. A marker of this time period is a prevailing distrust of God and a denial of his existence, his role in the existence of man, and relevance to modern thinking. He becomes often the punchline of jokes, and at the core of anger and frustration towards all things moral. Man stops seeing uh, him as he is, and very few take the Lord seriously. All along, I'm going to be stopping to ask you, does this seem like it's happening right now? Doesn't it seem like uh, no one seems to take God seriously these days? Right? He's there. For some people, he's there, yeah. For others people's. Yeah, so it's God, you know. Maybe he's there, maybe he's not. Who knows? Because of this, no one is willing to accept his rightful authority and right to judgment of sin in the life of man. At best, mankind embraces the idea that God is love. Yes, yes he is. But reject his authority to judge and to rule. And at worst, man denies him altogether and elevates the status of man above God. Secular society, along with the religious world, easily takes offense at the laws of God the Father. Great force is exerted against those who uphold the truth. The Lord is utterly stripped away of any creative credit, and esteem toward him is whittled down to almost nothing. 
The worship of God the Father and Jesus Christ becomes unbearably offensive to a dying world, and all but a few are willing to stand for the truth as God has revealed it in his word. If we take an honest look at the state of the world, this rings really true, doesn't it? Are we as Christians and adherents of God's true standards being crowded out, being forced to quiet our message in admonition to a darkening world? Increasingly, is it becoming a social suicide to declare the pure teachings of the Word of God? Isn't there pushback from the world against the truths of God? There also develops an attitude of negativity and opposition towards the idea of God himself, that, that he himself has provided the way of salvation. And the only way back to him is through Jesus alone. The name of Jesus stirs up rage and offense to the point that people who believe solely in him are labeled extremists and fundamentalists and therefore dangerous to the common good. The gospel message is greatly opposed and the world pushes back, attempting to prevent the spread of the gospel. Whole governments reject God and Jesus Christ and people of entire nations are being kept in the dark purposefully. Now moving on to the second angel's message. That passage reads, and there, uh, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now the first passages there are talking about God, right? And the world's attitude towards God. But now we're moving down to the Christian world. What is going on? The attention turns to the oldest church, the oldest Christian church, and that is Rome. Instead of staying true to the teachings of the Word of God, this church began to compromise, and under the guise of gaining more believers, began to add more and more of the world around them. They were attempting to make belief in God the Father, and Jesus Christ more palatable to the people that surrounded them. Pagan teachings and superstitions infiltrated the doctrines of the ancient church because it was soothing and pleasing to man's own desires for wickedness. This mingling and acceptance of error is likened to infidelity and fornication throughout the book of Revelation. Nevertheless, the truth went out into the world despite fierce opposition. In every era, the Lord had a remnant of faithful messengers that went out into the world of darkness to proclaim the undefiled message of the Lord. As they proclaimed the truth, it by definition contradicted and opposed the corrupt teachings that the church was promoting. And it seemed that the more those few faithful proclaimed the truths of God, the more stubbornly the church stood by its errors and more vicious it became towards those who stood firm for the truth. The religious system's true wickedness was unmasked in how gruesome it martyred all of those who stood for the truth and the rightful sovereignty of God. Rome had corrupted itself through its popularity 
and power and so distorted the teachings and so ardently opposed the light of truth that many wars and persecutions were launched. It nearly snuffed out the truth completely. Much innocent blood was spilt. Hence the appellation of that era, the Dark Ages. Rome had at its earliest stages the opportunity to create a successful theocracy where God would sit Lord and sovereign over everyone who believed. But because of the corruption, corrupting influence of power, they turned it into the most offensive and destructive demonic religion this world has ever seen. Rome's power hunger was insatiable and soon spread the corrupted teachings to all parts of the globe. For the most part, men and women, instead of seeking truth and seeking devotion to God alone, submitted themselves for fear of the church. They didn't want to take a stance and reject what was being pushed by the corrupted church. They accepted a religion of works and a theology of convenience and pleasure and were swept away in the tide of apostasy. As more and more accepted the rod of ideology, more and more they came into positions of power and influence and whole nations would eventually bow down to the moral authority of this church, which is Rome. I ask you, could anything like this be happening today? Is not Rome currently captivating the world? Has not the Pope's power and seductive teachings been highlighted on the news throughout the entire world? Beloved, this church has successfully supplanted the authority of God and the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. They have robbed the honor and glory due only to our Lord and have taken it for themselves. They have the audacity to call themselves the Christian church and the mother of all churches. Yet they do not, as an institution, reflect the humble, sacrificing character of the God that they claim to represent. As an institution, they exalt man above God and rob him of the honor and glory due only to him. In the commandments, the Lord placed his seal of authority in the Sabbath commandment. Isn't that right? And yet, they deny it by changing the day of worship. Like any sovereign over his dominion, the Lord placed in his seal identifying marks of his authority so that we may never forget his place in relation to us. I'm sorry? Four? Four. <laughs> You're right. My apologies. <laughs> Absolutely right. Thank you for, for that, by the way. <laughs> it says, remember the Sabbath day. Now we're looking in Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Amen. 
There is no mistaking how important this seventh day Sabbath is to the Lord. It is a reflection of His authority. The commandment contains His name, which is the Lord your God, the jurisdiction, which is heaven and earth, and by what authority? He is your creator. And also in Deuteronomy, He adds Savior, because He had taken Israel out of Egypt, right? No matter the argument, only God has the right to be sovereign over all. Only the Lord has rightful authority over everything, including your lives. Yet the Roman church has publicly declared that it changed the day of worship as a mark of its own authority from Sabbath to Sunday. The common belief today is that the Christian Sabbath is Sunday, right? Everywhere you go, you know, you, you watch shows on TV or, um, you know, other Christian denominations, uh, they call Sunday Sabbath, right? And in their minds, you know, that's what it really is. But they don't realize that it's a teaching that was initiated a long time ago by people who were stripping away the authority of God. Other doctrine and truths have taken a hit as well. It's not just the Sabbath. Because of the Catholic Church, there is great confusion over the state of the dead, over heaven and hell, idol worship, and the list goes on. Even the teachings of salvation by faith in Christ have been completely changed. Now it's Mary who is the mediator between us and God. The teachings of Rome infect so much of the world like a cancer rotting away at the purity of God's truth. Did you know, man has gone so far in his attempts to strip God of his authority that they have corrupted God's word itself. Many of the modern Bible translations are based on Greek texts that have been manipulated and or influenced by agnostic ideology, based on newly found texts and uh, that they describe as being more ancient than the ones we have, for instance, in the King James uh, Version. The problem is that at the core of agnostic teaching, it lowers Jesus' status and it elevates man. Many sincere believers are duped into believing these texts because they think that older manuscripts means that they're more accurate to the source from which they came. And they embrace false teachings as a result. Now, moving on to the third angel's message. The passage reads, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark on his forehead or his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. My brethren, these, these are very sobering words. It makes you think, well, I don't want that, right? God will stand, will not stand, I'm sorry, will not stand to share his creation with anybody, especially Satan. The Roman church, having established itself as God on earth, has taken the world from God. And in the end, an account has to be paid. 
But brothers and sisters, do you realize things are developing now? Current events are moving us toward the final conflict at an ever-increasing speed. Now that things seem safe and sort of calm around us, Satan is successfully convincing people of the lies he has propagated through the Roman church. People are willingly accepting the disease theology daily, some out of sincere intentions. You know, this is not a criticism of, of anyone who, who is Catholic or was Catholic. I was Catholic. My parents came from Mexico and Catholicism is the predominant religion in Mexico, right? But it doesn't mean that, that these people individually are evil. It just means that the system as a whole, there's just something wrong with it. Because they, can, they, they want to take more honor and authority for themselves than it is proper for any man to have. The influence runs so deep that man considers the deception truth and the truth error. That reminds me of, uh, of the Sabbath itself, right? So many denominations who do not uh, worship on the Sabbath, they take scriptures and they're able to defend what they believe, right? So this deception has so influenced everybody that upon reading certain scriptures, they, they sort of read into it what they have been taught. Right? And that's how powerful this error is. You know, that it just seems like truth to, to everyone who's, who's living by these, by these ideas. More and more people today are giving in to the influence of the, remote, uh, the Roman church and the secular world as well. Rather than seek and love the truth for themselves. Satan is pushing harder and harder day after day to gain the minds and wills of everyone on earth. And because he speaks seductive and soothing words that sort of peek at our desires for pleasure, we in one form or another comply to some sort of error. God has outlined that those who do not love the truth and receive the falsehood and mark of the authority of Rome, which is Sunday worship, either out of convenience or actual belief, will receive the consequences of rejecting God's authority and sovereignty. These consequences, my brothers and sisters, are very real and they are very absolute. There will not be a second chance, as some people believe. We see in rejecting God, you reject life. Life is His. The, the source of existence is His and His alone. Today, much of the corrupt ideology is masked under uh, the concept of the New World Order. I don't know if, you, if any of you have heard of that. It's starting to sort of come up more and more these days. The New World Order is being sold under the guise of peace and harmony and love and anything that benefits our planet. But it lacks the one thing that would make it actually successful and actually a good thing. And that is God himself. See, he is the source of life. I ask you, can a light bulb say to an outlet, well, you know, I don't need you right now. I can light this room by myself. It sounds ridiculous, right? And so it is when we try to do something without God. Sadly, the majority of mankind will be under a spell. 
Not because God ordained it, but because people have refused to accept the truth and to love the truth for themselves. God, respecting man's choice, surrenders them to the deception, and those who accept the mark of authority of the Roman church will be doomed to the consequences of rejecting God. No matter how much man dislikes and rejects the judgment, God must bring this whole issue of sin to a close. He has promised to end the suffering sin has perpetuated in this world. And I believe we are all looking forward to that day, right? Where there won't be any more suffering and we won't have any more loss. And people that we hold dear won't be dying anymore and suffering. For the sake of those who have suffered for him, for the purpose of concluding the outworking of rebellion, judgment must come. As that final day nears, Satan will endeavor to drag as many of us down as he possibly can through his deceptions. But there will be a few faithful, my brothers and sisters, faithful to the Lord alone, who will oppose the corruptions and stand firm for the sovereignty of God no matter what the consequences and no matter what happens to them. And these are referred to as the saints. The passage says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. There will be few who will be willing to suffer, few who will be willing to love God above their own lives. There will be a group of individuals who are open in heart and mind enough to allow God to bring understanding and light to their souls. These men, women, and children would be identified by their willingness to make the word of God their life, the commandments of the Lord their only standard, and exhibit the self-sacrificing faith of Jesus Christ, their only leader. Already today, these poor souls are being subjected to ridicule, rejection, and persecution all around the world. But just because it is not overtly happening right before our eyes, we sort of maintain this, this false sense of security. So we think that here in North America, we're okay. You know, because we don't see people being persecuted, you know, uh, for their faith. There is little to no urgency in our lives as a result. Nevertheless, our liberties and freedoms to stand by our own, by our conscience is being secretly eroded, even as I speak. If you don't think things are changing for the worse and our freedoms are being stripped away, I dare you, I dare you to publicly declare that homosexuality is a sin. I dare you to publicly declare that Jesus is the only way to God. And I dare you to say publicly that God is the one and only God. And He is our Creator. And He did it in six literal days. I dare you. And then tell me. Tell me what happens. Brothers and sisters, we are now in the last days. The end of time is not coming. It already has begun. 
We're in the middle of a rapidly descending downward spiral. And the very truths of Scripture, the very light of God, is being extinguished everywhere we look. People are giving up their rights to their own conscience because it's easier to follow in the stream than stand against it. I went on a mission trip to Nicaragua and we were building latrines for a village in the mountains. But we took some time off and we went out to the Pacific Ocean and, and uh, it was the first time I had seen it so it was, it was very moving for me. My group and I stood on sort of a, a cliff and we were quite a ways above the water. And we were there taking pictures, taking pictures and all of a sudden this big swell, this big wave came, right? And, um, I, was, I was there taking pictures, and I saw it, and I turned to start running away from the big wave, right? Um, but it came in too fast, and it swept me off my feet, you know? And that's the force that we are going to face. If we try to stand for God, the wave of the world is going to try to sweep us off our feet. Those who will stand in the end will be identified as those who have accepted the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. How? By accepting His sovereignty alone over their life. They will stand firm through the attack on the Lord. And there is no denying that right now, God and Jesus and the truths of Scripture are under attack. God's sovereignty is under attack. Truth is under attack today. And this attack is at the forefront of these final events. The three angels' messages depict a worldwide situation in which God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Scriptures will be stripped of their rightful place in relation to all mankind. And man will be lifted up. Satan is directly opposing God's sovereignty over your life and mine. And we must choose to stand for God, because there is no other way. Satan has convinced the world to deny the Father's right to reign and to judge sin by rejecting his very character. God's laws stand and are valid for as long as he lives, and he lives forever. Amen? Sin has been given time to play out so that the universe can attest to the destructive nature and the sheer evil of it. There is no denying as we look at history that sin is a rejection of God's will leads to pain and suffering and loss. Mankind has been thoroughly convinced that God only wants to control and bind the will of man and nothing else. So secular man and apostate religion and everyone else rejecting the sovereignty of God stubbornly entrench themselves more and more further in sin and are poised to accept the mark of Rome's authority when that moment comes. Along with God's sovereignty, the next thing to come under attack is the fear of God, the worship of God, and glorifying God alone. In identifying the sovereign, in denying, I'm sorry, the sovereignty of God, man has lost sight of who God is in relation to all things. And respect, fear, honor, and his set apartness have all been discarded. Once this is gone, 
man inadvertently raises up Lucifer as sovereign over man. And it was he that initiated the lies that now dominate our world. Satan's doctrine of selfishness and self-seeking interest becomes the new standard guiding mankind. Satan then becomes poised to reign on this earth through, his, through the devices of man. You see, man may reject God, but he cannot reject his need for God within his very soul. To make up for that need, then enters the Roman church and creates a system that gives you a sense of security and fulfillment, though it be empty of life because it is devoid of God himself. As a result of this system, in the throne of the heart sits Satan with a very, very haughty look on his face. You have to understand, my brothers and sisters, that to Satan, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you, believe, you do not believe the truths of God as set forth in the scriptures. He doesn't care which sin you cherish in your heart as long as you hold it a little tighter than you do the hand of Jesus. And he doesn't care how much the world, how much of the world you embrace as long as you love heaven and eternity a little less. As a result of rejecting God's sovereignty over your life, there plays out a domino effect. His word takes the next hit. In exalting man and his thinking and reasoning, doubt overshadows the word. And anything that shines a light at the error of man gets harshly opposed and rejected. Because the fear of God has gone, there is no reason to believe his word or revere his standards or even obey his laws. The image of God gets tainted by man, by man's own corruption, and the light is rejected. And once Rejection of God's authority has taken root and doubt overwhelmingly overshadows his word. Jesus, in all his love and self-sacrificing service, becomes obsolete. Because if you reject the authority of God and do not believe his word, then there is no sin. And you do not need a savior if there is no sin. Everything Christ did for mankind just becomes a joke. It becomes completely devalued. All the pain, all the suffering, all the humiliation, all the longing for you and I becomes as nothing. Man says, I will save myself. I will determine what is right. I will have dominion over myself. And in so doing, man subjects himself to the very character of Satan. The three angels' messages paint a picture of Satan rising in power and influence because man has accepted his authority over God. Those who love the Lord will exhibit a love and selfless obedience for the word of God and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus himself said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be 
in you. He goes on to say, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So then one of his disciples asks, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but it's the Father's who sent me. Obedience to Christ is a sign of our acceptance of the sovereignty of God over our life. So what of us today? We see the real fight is over who will reign over the heart of man. So I ask you, who will sit on the throne of your heart? Who will have authority over your conscience? Will it be Satan through the religious devisings of man and a religious ideology that supplants the kingdom of God by accepting the authority of Rome? Or will we accept God the Father as he has revealed himself through his holy and pure word and Jesus Christ and the only means of salvation? I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to see that this whole scenario is being played out not just on the world scene, but daily within you. And that fact makes this passage of Scripture, the three angels' message of prophecy, so relevant to us today. It's not a matter of future events, although it is about events that are about to come. I propose that this very moment, the struggle over your heart is being played out, and it is up to you to stand up and get up for your Lord. I urge you to think on this. Every day that you wake up, every moment which you have to make a choice, whose influence will you accept? Will it be self and thereby Satan? Or will it be God the Father who sits sovereign over your life? How much of the world have we let creep into and take hold of our life? How much more do we love this life and all it offers more than doing the will of God? Let's be honest for a moment. Are we looking earnestly into the word and allowing uh, ourselves to be convicted of sin daily? Are we basking in the righteousness of Jesus Christ more than in the darkness of this life? Do you ever ask yourself, who is import, more important to me when I have to choose what to buy? Who is more important to me when it comes to choosing what I will watch on the computer or the TV or the movie theaters for some of us that go? <laughs> what you will listen to, what you will eat, what you will wear, what relationships you maintain. Who is going to influence these decisions? Who sits sovereign over your life? 
Who reigns in your life when you interact with a brother or sister who just sits a few pews away? Or maybe your neighbor whom you know does not know Jesus. Who is sovereign over your income, over your career, over what you own, over your goals and aspirations? Brothers and sisters, we sit on the fence most days, don't we? Not choosing God to completely reign over our lives and not choosing the world completely and rejecting God. I'd like for you to turn to 1 Kings 18.21 for those of you who have a Bible. 1 Kings 18.21 Some of you will recognize this story once we get going there. (laughs) 1 Kings 18.21 And it reads, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. And that is what we do today, isn't it? When it comes to making that choice, we just stay quiet. When it comes to accepting accepting the idea of surrendering ourselves completely to God and rejecting the world, we just stall. We feel convicted and know God wants more of us. He is a jealous God. He will not share a hair from our head with anyone. And yet we say and do nothing. We are content with professing belief and having this sort of half-hearted attempt at faithfulness because we have a tendency to live life truly for ourselves more than for God. We would rather focus on anything else other than a wholehearted commitment to God. We choose to keep Him at arm's length because we don't want to miss out on the exciting and tempting things of this life. We refuse to surrender fully to His sovereignty. We want to rule our own lives. We want to determine how and how much we live for God. We refuse to live like Christ. We refuse to live by His example. Because we want just a little bit for ourselves. Jesus submitted himself to the Father all the way to death. But we don't want to die. And we don't want to suffer. As we read, the Israelites on Mount Carmel waited for a sign to make their choice. Some of us sitting here in this building are doing the same. But we fail to recognize that the signs are already taking place. If we wait for fire to rain down from heaven, I tell you, it'll be too late to make that choice. Now the prophecies that were given for our warning are being fulfilled. 
they are a sign of the Lord's imminent return. The signs are fulfilled, are fulfilling, but we don't want to open our eyes because it'll force us to make that choice. Choose the Lord or choose this world. We live as though we'd rather delay the choice for as long as we can get away with it and still make it to heaven under the wire. It seems we slumber as the stage is being set for the harshest, most extreme period of earth's history. The prophecies of Daniel and Revelation as well as these three angels' messages are, are being fulfilled before our very eyes. And yet, we remain apathetic. Our life, our eternal existence is in peril. And yet, we sit comfortably in our seats. Brothers and sisters, remember the parable of the ten virgins. Only half had enough oil to guide them through the darkest portion of the night. That's not good odds. <laughs> Only half had that relationship with the Lord strong enough to get them through. Only half, my brothers and sisters. And in the eyes of a father, half your children, is that enough? I have two boys. If only one of them was saved, do you think that would make me happy? I want them all because I love them. And God wants all of us, not just a part of us. Are we not nearing midnight of earth's history? Is not our world currently enveloped in a choking cloud of darkness? Do you see it? As you stand, are you ready? Are you still singing that old song, that old Louis Armstrong song? What a beautiful world, you know, with his voice. Day after day, the light of truth is disappearing. Brothers and sisters, prophecy is unfolding before our very eyes. The Roman church has not wasted any time. The Pope has already successfully taken the hand of Protestantism and declared publicly that the Protestant Reformation is over. So he asks us, what are we waiting for? What are we fighting and to top it all off, the scientific community that, that is run primarily by an atheistic agenda is now looking to the Pope for help. Listen to this excerpt that I found in, in the British news site called The Telegraph. It has been one of the most fraught relationships of recent his centuries, at least in the popular imagination. But a group of scientists are pinning their hopes for the salvation of the planet in the, in the face of climate change and habitat destruction on religion. Hmm. Their case is set out in an essay in the journal Science. It is being described as a watershed moment for scientists and faith leaders alike. It urges that engaging religious leaders rather than relying on politicians could hold the key to mobilizing billions of people around the world to change aspects of their lifestyles to help prevent catastrophic climate change. Here it goes. The article singles out Pope Francis and the Roman Catholic Church with its 1.2 billion strong network of followers as the key 
as the key, but calls for religious leaders of every stripe to be recruited. It argues that religion can provide a unique combination of moral leadership and global organizational structures required to bring about practical changes which could have an immediate effect, such as providing millions of world's poorest people with cleaner forms of fuel. It comes as Pope Francis's, uh, Francis finalizes a widely anticipated papal encyclical on the environment, throwing the full weight of the Catholic Church behind efforts to limit climate change. So here you have people who don't believe in God, and one who professes to be God, and now they're joining hands. It's happening, folks. If this doesn't give you shivers, I don't know what will. I have the link here if anyone is interested in copying it down later on. Who would have thought that those who most loudly and ardently opposed religion are now counting on it to save them? I don't know if some of you remember, I believe it was in the 80s. I, I kind of remember, I was kind of young and it came out on television, but the Berlin Wall, when it came down, it came down as, as, as teamwork between the Pope Pope John Paul II, I believe, and uh, Ronald Reagan, right? It was a while ago, I guess. But more recently, something similar has happened. Again, they joined forces, and the U.S. has now reconciled with Cuba, a communist country. Hmm. Interesting. Have you noticed that the world around us is collapsing, my brothers and sisters? Whole economies are being forced to crumble. The Muslim world is being pitted against democracy and capitalism. Civil unrest and social distress are pushing for the militarization of our police. Legislation is being passed where we no longer have rights in our own businesses to stand by our own beliefs or our own homes. At any moment, all our liberties could be gone for the sake of national security. The sad thing is, suspicions don't even have to be, don't have to be true, because the government in the U.S. can hold you indefinitely, as long as they have labeled you as a threat to national security. And now, guess what? Here in Canada, legislation is being pushed. Right? I don't know if you've heard. Is being pushed to to set in 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 effect similar. Uh, laws as they have in the U.S. Our kids are being taught sex education from, the, from kindergarten, as well as, as to be part of this global community, and, and they have to lose any kind of uniqueness or individuality or independent thinking, anything that sets them apart from another person. And with the new core cu curriculum that is being implemented in schools, some of the reports in the U.S. have have criticized and, and labeled it as the dumbing down of the people. Also, the idea that there is no God save evolution is being pushed hard. Yet, at the same time, everyone's religion is okay. And everyone's moral interpretations are okay. And they must be accepted as valid. Except, of course, whose foundation is the pure word of God then we are not allowed 
to say anything or be accepted or taken seriously. Brothers and sisters, the stage is being set for the final conflict. If we are waiting for the end times to get just a little bit closer before we take our commitment to Christ more seriously and accept the sovereignty of God, then I have news for you. The fact is we are now in the time of the end. But I believe there's hope, brothers and sisters. Praise God as we breathe today, there is hope. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon if this message is alarming, then I am doing my job. Because the time to get up and stand up and make our choice for the Lord is now. Choose you this day whose sovereignty you will accept over your life. If the Lord is God, then follow Him. But if not, then He. You can do whatever you want. Right? But make your choice one way or another. There is no time to waver over a half-hearted Christianity. You cannot straddle the fence and waver between worldliness and godliness and expect it to be okay in the eyes of God. We will not gain the sympathies of heaven by refusing to choose. Jesus, oh, Jesus is calling for you, my brethren. Jesus' sweet voice is urging you to commit to Him it's time. He doesn't want just a piece of your life. He doesn't want just a portion of your heart. He wants you completely. Do you really think he suffered all that he did so that you can go on embracing the world? Or did he die to give you a chance to be his and his alone? Through Him, we have the power to reject this world. Jesus wants you and your life completely so that He can turn you into a masterpiece. So that He can get you ready to enter into eternity. The Lord is desperate to come and bring you into His reward. It makes His heart sick to be without you. To see you suffer. He desires you to be with Him forever. Amen. I'm glad I got a couple of amens over there. The bottom line of the three angels message is whose sovereignty will you accept to rule over your heart? Today, in our every moment, the struggle is being played out and our choice for eternity is paved by little, tiny, individual choices. We don't have to worry about accepting the mark of the beast. Because if in your heart you have accepted God and Jesus Christ completely, then it will lead you into the right path. It's not about being okay right now and then 
when you're faced with that decision down the line, then you'll say, oh, I can stand for the Lord. It doesn't work that way. It has to start now. You have to accept the sovereignty of God right now. And be willing to surrender more and more of what we hold dear of this life. Brothers and sisters, are you ready? Do you want to want Jesus more than you want this world or this life? Do you desire to submit to the sovereignty of God and accept Jesus and his transforming love? If you do, my brothers and sisters, please stand with me and we will come to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you convicted, Lord. The three angels' message is set to warn us, Lord. It's sent to warn us and let us know that, that there comes a point where we have to choose. And it's not going to happen when the Sunday laws are enacted. It's going to happen right now. And so, Lord, in our feebleness, in our weakness, we come to you, Lord. Because this world has deceived us and has tied us down so tight that we cannot reach for you. Only on our knees are we able to come to you, Lord, and say, please, put in our heart a desire to be yours and yours completely. Help each and every member in this church, including myself, Lord, to continually surrender to your sovereignty. You are our God. You are our Father. And you desire us above anything in this whole universe. And I pray, Lord, that you bring a blessing upon this group, Lord, upon all of us, that we may day after day surrender to you by little increments in every single choice we have to make. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Cleanse us. Lift up the guilt and shame that weighs us down and lift up our heads towards heaven because we know that you are coming soon. In your hands, we submit ourselves, Lord. And we come boldly to the throne of grace, Lord. Not by our merits, Lord, but by the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. In his name alone, we pray. Amen.